All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for uh, the grace that you continue to show us in our life. Father, every day you bless us. Every day you minister uh, your goodness to us. Show us your ways and show us your heart. And you work through us to reach people, to touch people with your love, and Father, to speak words of good into other people's lives. Thank you, Father, as we open your word tonight, that you will, uh, by your spirit, lead us into truth. Uh, encourage us with these messages, Father God, of the hope that we have that's in you. And we thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, uh, in your notes, uh, it, um, we're still talking about resurrection and the different things that uh, have been incorporated here. Uh, I thought, you know, well, we're teaching a bunch of things that don't necessarily have to do, but they do because God put them in here. And uh, the Bible tells us about things that sometimes we have to search for. Um, we have to put this together with that and, and see some things that normally we wouldn't necessarily look at. And so we come to this passage, numbers of things have come up. Um, so last week we talked about the two kinds of resurrection, the resurrection unto life and the resurrection unto death. And so those who are part of the first resurrection will not be in the second resurrection, thank God. So we talked about that last week, and as we continue talking about resurrection, uh, the next question that comes up is resurrection bodies. Why, why do we need a body? Why does, if we're already in heaven, why do we need a body? So we're going to talk about that, all right? And um, But I want you to start, and I, I didn't put the verse on there, so if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We've, we've talked about this verse. I've, I've taught out of it before. Uh, but as we're moving into this section on resurrection... We need to be aware of what God wants to do in us. And so in, Revel uh, in Philippians, or Philippians chapter 3, Paul's been talking about a number of different things, but for some reason the Spirit leads him into making these statements at the end of chapter 3. He said in verse 20, and 21 is what we're going to look at. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So we're awaiting a Savior coming uh, for us. You'll need to get a Bible. And uh, she forgot her Bible, and so I knew she needed one. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, keep that word in mind, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
So again, this is out of his divine position and authority, out of his sovereign um, position and his uh, working that he is over all things and all things are subject to him. But what it says here is he's going to transform our lowly bodies. That's a interesting phrase because the idea of transform is not the same word transform as found in Romans chapter 12 where it says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That word transform is like metamorphosis. In fact, that's where we get the word from. It means to change the outward form so that it truly represents what's on the inside. So, a butterfly is what's on the inside of a caterpillar. You just don't see it. And so metamorphosis means to change the outward form so that it's a true representation of what is on the inside. And so as we renew our minds, we are transformed. God puts something inside of us. What's that? The new, new creation. His spirit united with our spirit, recreated in his image and likeness, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, uh, 24. He says we've been made in his image, in righteousness and trueness. So that's what we are on the inside. And through the renewing of our mind, we can change our outward character into what is on the inside. Now, he's not talking about changing our body because we can't do that but he will, but he's not going to change it in that same way. So in that same passage, Romans chapter 12, it says, do not be conformed to the image of this word, world, conformed. And that word conformed is a Greek word which means to change the outward character or outward form so that it covers or conceals What's on the inside? Masquerade. All right? And so it's the idea of masquerade. So metamorphosis is something that's real in here, and I change my outward form, my character, my talk, my, the way I live, the way I relate to people, all being changed, how? By the renewing of the mind, that we might prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. But stop being conformed. Stop putting on the costume of the world. Now, this is not a clothesline sermon, so he's not talking about people's clothes, but he is talking about the way we act. And I need to stop putting on the costume of the world. Instead, be transformed. But there's a key. How am I transformed? By the renewing of the mind through the word of God. Now, when we come over here to Ephesians chapter or Philippians chapter 3, that word transform is not that metamorphosis. It actually comes back to the same root as masquerade. So in a masquerade, I put on a costume. What this word says, who will transform our lowly body? You see, all Jesus is going to do when he comes back to take us is change our outward form. 
because our inner man has what? Already been changed. <laughs> so we've already been changed inwardly. So the only thing that's going to change when the Lord returns to take us to be with him is our outward form. It's just going to be changed, switched out. All right? And so we're going to receive what we call a resurrection body or a glorified body. And we'll receive that at the time of the rapture. Uh, those who are asleep in the Lord, those who have died and in faith, they will be raised. They'll get a glorified body. Then we get our glorified bodies and we go forever to be with the Lord. How long will we be with him? Forever. forever. All right. So what we gain through that will never change. But here, what does he say? I'm, the Lord is going to come back. Who will transform? We await our Savior from heaven. We await him. He will transform, change the outward form, because our inner man's already been created in his image. He will transform our lowly body. Some translations say vile body. You have a King James, it says vile body. It simply means a body that is subject to the elements of this world. It's, it's low. It's not what God wants it to be. And um, how many know we, we all can witness to the fact that our bodies are somehow subject to uh, the things of this world? All right? But it's not going to be. We're going to have a body that's not subject to the physics of this world. Uh, I just love that. All right? And how's he going to do that? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Somebody says, well, you can't do that. Jesus says, yeah, I can. <laughs> Everything is under my power. He can subject, he can change anything he wants. But what does he want to change? Us. So that we can be in his glorious presence and why a body? So that we can experience the things that God had intended for us to experience all along. But we're lost in the fall. And so all of this was God's plan. He wanted a man to live in this eternal presence with him. And the only way to do that now is to get rid of this body and give us a glorified body. So that's what we will be looking at all right so in our passage in revelation uh it talks about the first resurrection especially i want you to look at verse 5 revelation 20 and look at verse 5 the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended this is the first resurrection and then verse 6 blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power unless we are alive when the lord returns we'll experience the first death but never the second death thank you jesus all right and those of us who are believers will have a first resurrection in which we will receive a body either through the rapture or those who live through the tribulation, um, 
will also receive bodies and will be changed into his image so that they are prepared to live through all eternity. Those who are not believers will experience a second death. So their resurrection, in a sense, is to eternal death. And that's something we're going to talk about more in the next lesson. All right, so next week we're going to talk about two different kinds of judgments. The reward seat, where we as believers will stand, and the white throne, where unbelievers will stand. And there is a vast difference of the judgments between the two. All right, so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 there in your notes. The question was asked me, and actually this was asked me back when I first started this course, about 75 lessons ago, because it was after the third or fourth lesson, and these two questions were asked me, if when we die, we are already in heaven with the Lord, is that true? When we die, we're going to look at it here just in a second. We die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right, so if when we die, we're already in heaven with the Lord, what happens that is different at the resurrection? All right, I'll answer that question. Number two, why do we need a body in heaven? And my answer to that is really going to be short. Because God wants it that way. <laughs> it's nothing of us. It's not that we had to ask or beg or, you know, petition. You know, we didn't circulate petitions and sign them and, you know, tell God he needs to give us new bodies in heaven. It's God's plan. It's what he wants. He wants us to experience eternity with a body but a body that is not subject to the fallen state of this world. How glorious. All right, so let's go to these passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 1, Paul says, For we know. What's that third word? No. We know. We know. He may be writing a reminder but if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, we know. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. We have a building from God. So the tent, this flesh, this tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to have a building that is eternal. We're going to get rid of this tent, which, you know, the, it's, it's interesting the, the words, of course, the, the Lord gave Paul to use here. A tent is for temporary pilgrims, right? Travelers, military, I spent the days, all the days I want to spend in a tent in my military 
years. I'm done with that. All right, we know that if the tent, temporary, that is our earthly home, this is where we have to be, is destroyed, and it will be, we have a building from God, not a tent, a building. It's just, Paul is so good here. Now, he's not talking about the mansion that, you know, we're believing we're going to live in. The building he's talking about is what? A physical body. A building from God, a house not made with hands. And it's eternal in the heavens. So, there's a doctrine that, that maybe some of you experienced. Uh, if you came from some other churches, other uh, branches of Christianity, uh, there are some that believe in what is called soul sleep. How many have heard of soul sleep? And soul sleep means when you die, you're absolutely unconscious. There's nothing going on. And you remain that way until the end, the resurrection at the end, and God raises you up and you enter the new heaven and the new earth. Soul sleep. Nothing happening. There's no presence with the Lord. You're just in the grave. There's no resurrection until the end and what we just read here in Revelation chapter 20. So those who believe in soul sleep say nothing, nothing happens until then. And then we're just raised in a spiritual uh, reality to live forever in heaven with God. Well, the thing is, that's not what Paul says. Then, you know, you can have your doctrine, but I'd rather go with Paul. There's no such thing. He says, we know that if this tent's gone, we have a building from God, a house not made, one that is eternal in the heavens. He says that uh, there's a, a release from the restraints of this world. He calls those our earthly home. And a renewal of immortality. See, Adam had immortality. He wasn't eternal, but he was immortal. He wasn't eternal because he died. You say, well, immortal can't die either. Well, not all of him did, but part of him did. And God said, the day that you eat it, dying, you will die. And so there was a change uh, in all creation that took place. God never intended death. In the creation of the, new, of, the, of the heaven and the earth, God never intended that there would be death. It wasn't the plan. But man, through Satan's deceit, changed that. And the thing about this, this relationship is it's going to be eternal. Look at verse 2. In this tent we groan. Sometimes louder than other times. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. In other words, I'm not, just, I'm not groaning just from the pain and the issues that are here. Paul says my groaning is because I want to have this eternal thing. 
I want that eternal thing. But I'm in this life. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may, be, we may not be found naked. Don't want to be without a body at all. That's what he's simply saying. We groan. And this is a struggle against the constraints and the trials and the pressures that are here in this life that make us say, man, I can't wait for this change. I will wait, but I'm really longing for that. You know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of people that think, well, you know, I'm not really looking for the Lord. I don't care. doesn't bother me whether the Lord comes back or not. Well, you're violating Scripture. Paul says that we are to be looking. We are to be waiting. We're to be longing. And so those are things that Paul says about the believer, that we are to wait, we are to long for, we are to look for. And then finally in 2 Timothy, as he's writing his own uh, epitaph, uh, he makes the statement, he says that God has given him this promise. And this promise is that he's wrestled to the end, he's run his race, he's kept the faith, and now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will give not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Love his appearing. And the Greek word there is agape, which means I don't love it just for my own benefit. I love it because it's, it's good, it's right. It's something that is, is what I want. Why? Because it's what Jesus wants. And so we long to put on this other reality verse 4 for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so our longing is for that other reality not just to get out of this life this isn't Paul saying yeah I'm I am so done with this life I just can't wait to leave I can't wait to die you know it's like I can't no, that's, that's not what he's talking about. It's my longing, my desire, my straining is to be clothed on with that eternal reality. And it says so, uh, but that we will be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So while we are here, we struggle that we would be able to uh, enter into this eternal state. Verse 5, top of the next page. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. This isn't a natural thing. This isn't some fantasy. This is not some fable created, not some myth. Uh, the, we, we read, I, 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 like, I like to read science fiction. I like other kinds of books. Um, I, I, I like sometimes some of the mythology, you know, it's like you can do what you want with that, but I, I like it. But this isn't myth. This isn't stories. This isn't something made up. It's real. Because the person that prepared us for this is God. 
who's given us his spirit as a guarantee. So that spirit inside of us keeps saying, it's going to be changing. You're going to be changed. Now, I think many in this room will agree with me. I, I think the change is going to come even while I'm still alive. Right? And I think believers down through the ages have believed that, you know. But I believe it's our time. So there. So we're always of good courage because we know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. I, I, so I'm of good courage. I'm of comfort, the Greek word encouragement, comfort. We're of good courage because I know that even though I'm down here, there's something more for me there. We're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not looking to get out of this life. I'm just looking for everything that God has for me. And this glorious resurrection body is something God has prepared for us. Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We'd rather... You know, Paul said something similar to that all the way back in chapter 1. He said, for to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He said, so I'm caught between two things. To stay here <laughs> or to go there. Going there would be better for me. Staying here is better for you. So Paul says, so I'll stay here. And I'll do what God has given me to do, even though I long for that, which is my eternal, my eternal. So he says, um, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And that's going to lead into our teaching on rewards next week. Okay, so. There is a here and there, there is a, an away, an at home, and so this is the reality that we walk in. So today, even as you know, addressing families at the funeral, we talk about absent from the body, present with the Lord. This man was a believer. He's released from all the struggles and the trials and the pressures and the pains that he's been through in this life. Um, he lived a good life, 84 years old. But um, the last several years have been a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And he's released. He's released into an eternal presence that we need to be aware of and long for, but not because I hate it here, but because that's what God wants for us what he's planned for us so now let's go over to first corinthians 15 because here paul gives into a little more detail about what this resurrection life is going to look like and so uh chapter 15 he's been talking about resurrection 
the Corinthians had gotten to this place of, of academic intellectualism, um, it's like, eh, resurrection, <laughs> come on, we're, we're too smart to believe in that. And uh, there's no, there's not going to be any change to these bodies. I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? There's no resurrection from the dead. It's, okay, maybe a spiritual resurrection, you know, where we're dead and then we're kind of with our spirit, we're with the Lord. But physical resurrection, really? No. And so that's where the Corinthians were. So Paul writes a whole chapter dedicated to that. And so he talks about the resurrection. And at one point he says, you know, for, for us... If, if there is no resurrection, we're liars. We're liars because we've told you that there is. We're fools because we, we say we believe that there is, if there isn't. And then finally he says, and we are of all men most miserable. If we're believing for a resurrection, a physical resurrection, and there isn't one, and we know there isn't one, we're liars, we're fools, <laughs> we are, of all people, most miserable because we'll never get what we preach about. But, <laughs> there is a resurrection, but Christ is raised from the dead and become the first fruits. And then he goes on from there. It's, it's a beautiful, um, just forensic presentation of of resurrection and, and Paul is a master at doing it well he keeps on with questions why do you do this why are you doing that why do you say this why do you say that what about all these things he finally comes down here and obviously these some of these are in response to questions that have been thrown to him can you imagine trying to correct Paul I mean yeah I, I don't, I, go ask Paul this. I'm not going, you go ask him. I'm not going to ask him. <laughs> well, I'll write the question and you read it to him. I'm not even going to read it to him. So it says in verse 35, but someone will ask. In other words, somebody did. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? You got you to gotta put the sarcasm in here that belongs here. If there's dead are going to raise, how are they raised? With what kind of body do they come? I mean, they've been in the ground, they've been dead, their bodies have been decomposed. What? What are they going to be? Come out like zombies? Is that what we're going to have? You know, so that you can pick up the the sarcasm that this questionnaire questioner is throwing at Paul <laughs> in Paul's response. How foolish. No, no, that's not what he said. You fool. That's what it says from the Greek language. You fool, not how foolish. You fool. Paul's bold. I'm sure he didn't say, you fool. It's like, no, that came with, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, I heard some people talking about gardens, even tonight, coming in. People, how many of you have gardens? God bless you. Um, I'm glad you do. But um, any, anybody that has a garden, 
knows that you plant the seed, you don't get the seed. You get a plant. Now, out of the fruit, vegetable, whatever, grows, there will be more seeds for later sowing. But you don't get watermelon seeds when you plant a watermelon seed. You do, but they're inside a watermelon that's got lots of goodness for you, right? So, you don't get what you sow. What, what you sow is not what comes up. And when you put the seed in the ground, even back in their day, maybe you remember you were in school and you put a seed in the ground against a little see-through you know, glass and you could watch the seed decompose. And as it decomposed, this little white and then green thing comes out of it and starts its way up through the soil. Remember watching that do that? Some of you going to go home and do it now. But, and you can watch the thing grow, but, but what happened? It died. Jesus said the same thing back in John chapter 12. Unless the seed dies, there'll be no life. I'm the seed. I have to die in order for there to be life. So Jesus was making a statement. Paul is making a statement. What you sow has to die. Even people back in the age knew that if you plant a seed, you dig it up a few days later and it's all rotted out. So he says so. Verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. You don't plant the watermelon. You plant the seeds. You plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. So sometimes, how many of you can identify a lot of seeds? You look at the seed and you know what, what that seed is. Jan's mother used to sell seeds in their business. His dad had a seed and feed business in small farming town and her mom sold garden seeds to just about everybody and you get to the place where you look at this seed I say oh I know what that is and here's I know what this seed is and I know what that seed is I know what kind of body's going to come out but you take those same seeds and you take them to some place that in an inner city where those people have never had a garden and they look at those and they say I don't know what these are <laughs> what do you do with this what is this one what's that one and they may know what the body that is going to come from that seed is, but they don't know the seed. So you can't recognize what's going to be from the seed. What we are here is nothing compared to what we're going to be. What we are here is weakness, it's perishable, it's corruptible, it's prone to the elements of this world, as Paul said. It's, it's a body of lowliness, subject to the elements of this world. But that's not what it's going to be. All right, so this is the seed. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. God determined that. 
Now, illustration. So Paul jumps into an illustration for this fool that he's talking to. <laughs> Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. So even with, even with flesh, even with people, there's differences. So also will be the resurrection. So he moves immediately to that. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly is another. Heavenly bodies, what's he talking about? Stars, planets, the moon, heavenly bodies. They're different than bodies down here. But they're bodies, they're heavenly bodies, there's earthly bodies, there are elements there, there's elements here. The sun is different than anything on this earth. The moon is different than anything on this earth. They have one kind of form, body. We have another. Birds have another. Fish have another. Things are different. And so Paul says, you know, you, you say, well, you know, you know, these people get die and then they go in the grave and what are they come up going to come up with you know rotten bodies walking around sorry to be descriptive but you know what are they going to be skeletons you know leaping around in our presence no verse 41 he goes on with his illustration the sun has one kind of splendor the moon another the stars another and star differs from star in splendor so there's differences in the sun and the moon and the stars, and even the stars are different. Now, you have to kind of be in a pretty dark sky area to be able to see the color that's in the stars. But if you've ever been in a dark sky, it's kind of hard to see it here. There's too much light pollution, as they call it. But you go out in a really dark area, and you can, there are stars that are red, and, and you, can, you can watch them pulse. There's stars that are bluish tinted. There's yellow. There's even green colored ones. And so they glow in different intensities, different sizes, because they're closer or further away, bigger or smaller. And so you see these bodies. I, I just have a you know, fairly normal telephoto lens. And a uh, couple, well, it was about a year and a half ago, there was the Jupiter and the moon and Saturn. We're all together. And I went out at night and got a picture of that. It was pretty cool. But as I enlarged the picture that I had, even with my camera, I could see the rings around Saturn. And you could see a little bit of the straight. Now, by that time, my picture is so enlarged that it's falling apart. <laughs> Our friend Al Poncel has a telescope, and when he takes pictures, yeah, they're a whole lot better and uh, you can really, you can actually see and define the rings that are around Saturn. It looks different than any other body that's, that we know of that's in the heavens. And, and so he's going to make a, a reference here. Terrestrial bodies, he's making reference as those to our physical body. Heavenly bodies, he's making reference to those as our eternal body, 
our glorified body, or what we'll call our resurrection body. And just as the differences of earthly bodies, so there will be differences of heavenly bodies. So, even though we are all going to be like Jesus, we're going to be different. Back that up. Say that again. Even though we're all going to be like Jesus, we're going to be different. How's that happen? Wait and see. That's my answer. There you go. Just wait and see. So there's the terrestrial, that's what's on the earth, that is what's here. And there is the celestial, which is what is in the heavens. And so those are differences, and just as there are differences in terrestrial bodies, there are also differences in heavenly bodies, and even one star differs from another star, so that there will be different um, realities of a, even among our resurrected bodies, even though we will all be like Jesus. So, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So what I've been talking about is resurrection, not your garden and not planets and animals. I've been talking about the resurrection. What is sown? What does he mean by sown? Planted or dies, right? Dies. What is sown is perishable. Your body, your physical body that is, is captured in this earth, <laughs> positioned in this earth, that is, what did Paul say? In other words, we are aliens here. We're consigned to this earth. It's almost like we're trapped here. What is here is perishable. <clears throat> What's raised is imperishable. So what, you put it in the ground here, it decays. You get something out of that at the resurrection that will never decay, never perish. Sown imperishable, raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor, this vile body, body of lowliness, is raised in glory. So this is our glorious body, right? And so this is our, our resurrection body, glorified body. It's sown in weakness. Now, you know, through Christ we're strong. We can do all things through Christ, right? We have his power, his might. But what we have now is nothing compared to what we're going to have. Right. Sown in weakness because it's trapped in this world. It's raised in power. Not by power. It's raised in power. That's, that's like part of its character. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Not just a spirit, a spiritual body. So, 
Why are we going to have a resurrection body? Because God wants it. He wants us to experience eternity with a physical body that's not limited to the physics of this world. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, the earthly, right? We borne the image of the man of the dust. Who is that? Adam. So we have borne his image. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The image of the man of heaven. Now, I put down a number of verses in here that all talk about the character of the body that we're going to have or the character of life that we're going to have. Um, there's probably others. I, these are ones I just thought of as I was writing. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul says, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and your Bible says immortality cross that out put in incorruption it's not just immortality it's incorruption and it's distinction of words he's brought life and incorruption to light through the gospel so we believed and we have received life and incorruption well Incorruption is not working in this body right now, but it's going to. So that incorruption is for the life which is to come. Look at that word abolished, abolished death. I put a note over at the side, the Greek word there, katargeo, uh, simply means to make something not work, to take something that's working and make it not work. God, through faith in Jesus Christ, death through faith in Jesus Christ, not in this world, but through faith in Jesus Christ, death has been made useless. It's the Greek word for useless, to not work. Death is useless to me. It's not going to do one thing. In fact, Paul says, for me to die is what? Gain. Gain. <laughs> it's, a, it's a step up. So, all the fear of death that the enemy has bound with people in this world goes away because death is useless to me. Death doesn't work. It doesn't do a thing. That's why sometimes Paul refers to it as falling asleep. But that's not soul sleep. He later on and says they're dead. All right? The dead in Christ will rise. Not just not the sleeping. The dead in Christ will rise. So... Why? Because it's, it's just physical death. It's just a laying down of this body and a stepping out of this life into a life of eternity. And when the resurrection occurs, the rapture for us, I'll receive a glorified body, a body that is unlike anything of this world. And he brought to life he brought life and incorruption. The word incorruption 
It's a word which means incapable of corruption or decay or loss of vitality. There is an incorruptibility that we are going to receive. I don't have it now because this body is subject to decay. It is subject to losing vitality. It is subject to corruption. That's why we can get infections and sickness and those things. But I'm going to have a body that's not subject to that stuff. Not subject to that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Paul says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What kind of seed were we planted with? Imperishable. And we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of what? Imperishable. So then what does that make us? Imperishable. So my spirit man is imperishable, but again, it's the Greek word incorruptible. Incorruptible. The Greek word is hard to say, so I didn't give it to you. But uh, to try to spell it out, it's like, what? You can't put those kind of letters together. And so it's, uh, but it's simply, again, it's that no corruption, no decay, no loss of vitality. That's the, that's the kind of seed that gave birth to your spirit man. So just like if you plant an, an incorruptible seed, you're going to have incorruptible plants. So my spirit man is incorruptible. But one of these days, it's not just going to be my spirit man that's incorruptible. It will be my resurrected body. All right. And so all of that will be incorruptible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, I just, I just put down verse, uh, part of verse 11 and, or 9 and 10. But you can read all the rest of the passage. Paul talks about the mirror and looking at the glass and seeing you know, a blurred image. But the point is, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect, the perfect comes... What is the perfect? Here's where the anti-Pentecostals, and I'll use that phrase, anti-Pentecostals go to this verse and say, see, the perfect is the Bible, and once we got the Bible, then there's no use for gifts of the Spirit, no use for miracles, no use for tongues, no use for healing or faith or knowledge. There's no use for any of those things, um, especially tongues and interpretation. Uh, there's no use for those because we have a Bible. And once the Bible was complete, because the Bible is that which is perfect. No, that which is perfect is Jesus. <laughs> that which is perfect is Christ. And when the perfect comes, when is he going to come? In his resurrection. And when the perfect is come, then the partial will pass away. There'll be no need for anything that is of the element of this world. When we are resurrected glorified bodies through the rapture through the transition that we receive all of that change that takes place there'll be no need for knowledge for healing for gifts of faith there'll be no need for prophecy uh why because we're just watching everything happen don't <laughs> know there'll be no need for knowledge a lot of people say well we're going to go to heaven and we're going to have to have classes and we're going to sit in there no it says knowledge will be done away the word, again, is that word katergeo. That which is partial will be done away with. 
Knowledge will be done away with. Prophecy will be done away with. The same Greek word rendered useless. Prophecy is rendered useless when we're in heaven because it's all right there. All right. And there'll be no learning in heaven, though we will forever be experiencing things that we have never realized. Glory to God. John 10, verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Um, I talked about this verse a couple weeks back. They will never perish. The Greek phrase means never, no, not ever perish. They will never enter a condition where they could possibly perish. And the Greek word, again, it's a middle voice, which means they can't do it to themselves. They can never cause themselves to perish. Which I tie that directly then to the next verse, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, we'll come back and talk about that word in a minute, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. The Greek word means all the way to, com to its complete fulfillment. All the way to the complete fulfillment. And so it's a, it's a specific Greek word, pan, uh, telos, pan telos, and it means not just the end, but the total end. The end of everything. So when you come to Jesus to be saved, that's what it says, he's able to save you how far? All the way to the end. Till there is nothing else to go to. <laughs> He'll be able to save you all the way to the end. Why? The verse tells us why. Why? Why is he able to save us all the way to the end? Because he's ever alive doing what? Making intercession. Listen to me. Jesus is forever in heaven interceding so I don't mess my life up. Yeah, he's got a big job. So he's ever alive making intercession for the saints. The word intercede means to to go to someone else to ask or to intervene or even to interfere. I do things sometimes that could interfere with God's plan for my life. But you know what Jesus is doing? He's praying and he interferes with my self-destructiveness. <laughs> my failures, my inability to do things right Jesus is forever interceding, and he's going to get me all the way to the end. If my salvation was in my hands, it wouldn't last 10 seconds. I can't carry this salvation. But he can, and he can get me all the way to the end. Praise God. Right? That's why I'll never enter into a condition where I can cause myself to perish, because he is always living to make intercession for me. And then finally, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began, the word began in the Greek word means to begin at the top, at the head, at the origin. He who began a good work. God didn't just jump in and start, you know, somewhere in the middle of where you are. No, the one who began a good work in you. He was there at the origination of your rebirth. And he is able to bring it to what? completion and again it comes from that word which means take it all the way to the finish all the way
So, the end of this, Paul simply says, Behold. Chapter 15, back to verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Not everyone's going to sleep, which means what? Not everyone's going to die physically. We will all be changed. And I'm real heavy on that we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, that word moment comes from the word atomos, smallest element that the Greek knew of measurement, atomos. In, in, in an atomic second, that's, now we say, well, we can split that now. It's a multi, you know, and I don't care what, how small you want to make it. You can't make it any smaller than what God can do. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, with a trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, what? Imperishable. Again, incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Into what? That glorious life that he has purposed for us, a body that is fit for eternity. For this perishable must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now, some of your translations have grave in there, but it's actually just the Greek word death. There's no victory. Why? Because he's done away. Death is useless to me. It's been rendered useless. Null and void. And so we have all of this promise that God has made for us a glorious life in his presence now next week as I said we're going to talk about the judgments the reward bench for believers and the white throne for unbelievers what's the difference do Christians ever stand believers ever stand at the white throne I'm going to tell you now no but come to class anyway. All right.